You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain. Hello, I'm Gareth Hall and welcome to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with the great man, the Captain Guy Moldcaster. We are recording this on a Thursday morning. Hello to you, Guy. Good morning, Gareth, and how are you? I am well, Captain. How's the jet lag going? Jet lag's over. Beautiful morning here on the Gold Coast. So how did you get over that jet lag so quickly? It took me about a week. Uh, just sort of uh, get used to it a bit, sleep when you need to sleep, and then uh, and then just try and tailor it to get into bed at the right time. We were having a laugh there last night. I was on the phone to Johnny O'Neill, and he was celebrating in a way. It was sad, but a, a celebration in the same in like with the sale of Cool and Gatto, it was a filly that he picked out at the the Magic Million sales, and then Aussie Kerr and his great mates got involved in that horse. But they um, sold it to Cool More, and we we're laughing because Johnny's been critical of that Mooney Valley track. I think he called it a tip there the other day, and Andrew Jones and Racing Victoria might be a little bit disenchanted with the direction that they are going in. And that's Johnny's opinion, not mine, by the way. And I, I said, it's 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 pushed him to sell Cool and Gatter at the end of the day. But he sold Cool and Gatter. It's a great deal with Coolmore and she'll go to a great home. And they tell me she's going to Home Affairs, their guy. Yeah, and Home Affairs is due to get his first foals in the next week or so. And I think everybody's pretty well looking forward to seeing what they look like. Including you, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. I've got a mare having a foal to him in the next 10 days or so. I'm not quite as excited as Jackson, though. <laughs> I'm not staying up every night just waiting for the phone to ring or monitoring the foal alarms or anything like that. I'll just uh, get the phone call the next day and it'll either be a cult or affiliate or have good legs or it'll have bad legs, you know? Yeah, well, that's because you're a multimillionaire and have done it all in the racing industry. Poor old Jackson France, and if you're just listening to this show for the first time, Jackson France is our illustrious producer here on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with the Captain podcast. And... Jacko loves the racing industry. He's not much of a punter. He got his, he got a winner there the other day. They tell me in South Australia with his group of mates. So what he does, he's got this passion for breeding horses, and he syndicated a lot of his horses to his mates. He's got fifty or sixty horses. I mean, owners and horses with his mates. Um, and he's bred. He's this is his second horse he's, that he's tried to bred. The first horse, unfortunately, didn't work out. And this is a Blue Point Colt or filly. Anyway, he desperately needs this horse. To, to look the goods because um, Mrs. Francie's beloved mother as well has said, Jackson, um, you're spending a lot of money. You should be trying to buy a house, but you're spending all this money on this cult. And this is his, or this is Philly. This is his investment. So I'm hoping that it, I'm hoping that it's a success for the young man guy. Well, He's the way a punt. That, the way that Blue Point started in Europe, I think he's up to 25 winners or yep. something now. Hell of a great start to a, to his uh, his uh, stallion career, and I think uh, I think he's right on the right track. So, with the mare like Colin Gatta, I'm fascinated to get your opinion on this. She went over to the UK. She didn't perform at her best. Were you expecting her to race on, or did you think that they would sell up? And the other question, I, I'll, get, I'll ask two questions here. So, why would they sell her individually or outside? of going to an online sale or going to a broodmare sale? Uh, I think probably just the timing now that we're at right at the uh, breeding season start in three weeks' time or so, uh, they would have been given a good offer by Coolmore and and it would probably made sense to take the offer and move on, on to the next, you know. Yeah. Oh, you know, like she'd done everything on the track Keeping her in work for another year probably doesn't add anything to her value, even if she did win another group one. Yeah. And she's had a wonderful career as well. She should do a wonderful job, you would imagine, as a mother. And she'll get every opportunity there at Cornwall. Well, you get those uh, those blue blue hen mares and, you know, their, their progeny are chased at the yearling sales. You know, like you're going to have Kieran and his team looking to buy first foal or the second foal out of her and then there's going to be a number of other people chasing it as well. So we get to the start of the breeding season. Have you been able to select your stallions with your mares for the upcoming season, Guy? Uh, yeah, we you do that probably just around about Easter and work out what you're going to do and where you're going to send them and uh, then just uh, book them in and away you go. Is it easy to get in 
what's the process there? So if I want to get into home affairs, could I get in now or is it too late? Uh, you could get in now if you had a, a mare of the right sort of quality. Okay. So what kind of quality is that? Well, you know, if you're going to spend 100000 for a service fee on a brood mare, you're going to need basically either a black type mare or a mare that's a half to a black type performer. Okay. So they won't they won't take anything else. Oh, they they might take a very good city winning mare or a or a mare that's got a good deep pedigree. But I mean, you know, it's it's up to either the people at the start or the people sending the mare to work out, you know, is the mare worth spending a hundred thousand dollars on a service fee? Because, you know, you're gonna to go to the sales and compete against all the other well bred ones that have got foals as well. I want to touch on as well today the Strawberry Hill Stud sale, which will be happening on August 29, which isn't far away these days. When will you take a look at all of these horses on up for sale there from Johnny Singleton and the team at Strawberry Hill? Uh, the catalogue came out two or three days ago, and yep. after the weekend I'll put a bit of time into it and work out an angle if there's something that we need to be buying or trying to buy. You know, like the, the better broodmares with the big covers and things are probably going to be picked up by Yulong or Coolmore or the other big studs. So you probably have to just pitch your, pitch your market sort of right and try and find something that fits into your budget. And as a, as a broodmare, how old's too old? Well, mares, are, when they're 13, they become tax mares anywhere, anyway and you get a good write-off from them. Yep. So anywhere between when they start being broodmares to – 15, 16, then you're still going to get three years out of them, three or four years out of them. But it all all comes down to the mare's results as well. If she's had three or four foals and she hasn't got anything that looks any good, the market discounts them pretty heavily already. So more Joyce, the homebred champion mare from, uh, for Johnny Singleton and, and Strawberry Hill. She's 18 years of age now, Johnny, um, for Johnny Singleton. So how does that all work, Guy, with her? Um, you know, well, she's still, you know, just because she was so good, you know, you could still be just looking to get a filly out of her and you'd, yeah. you'd pay sort of what, what a filly's worth out of a mare like that. So, you know, it all comes down to what, what people are willing to risk. What would you be more interested in um, with the, the, the Strawberry Hill catalogue? Have you got, without getting giving away too many of your secrets, would you be more interested in Samantha Miss or Miss Fabulous, which is a which is a daughter of the champion Frankel. Yeah, but you know, there's there's gonna be every man this dog's gonna yeah. be looking at the to say, you know, you might find a weanling that you've that you like the pedigree of, just turned yearling, you know, was gonna go to the sales, but you might be able to find a nice type like that and get it sold early before the sales series starts. Yeah. It's um I'm I'm finding this sales gonna be really fascinating to see who actually puts their hands up and we're about to have a chat to John Freer from Arrowfield, of course, the bloodstock manager there at the, the world famous farm and Australia's biggest farm. And a lot of the, the John Singleton bloodlines hail from Arrowfield. So it'd be interesting to see if they play in this space. I think for the, the well-regarded broodmares, everybody's going to be looking at them, Gareth, you know, like this is a, an opportunity that doesn't come up that often and people are going to be, uh, right on the job looking for the right sort of stuff. Do you, are you confident that you might be able to make a splash? I wouldn't think we'd be making a splash, Gareth, but if you picked up one or two, it would probably work work well. Don't go anywhere, Captain. This is the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter, Gareth Hall with the Captain Guy Molecaster. Straight after this break, I have an interview with the boss or the Bloodstock Manager of Arrowfield, John Freer, will be joining me, and then we'll have a chat about the... Stallions on offer from Arrowfield coming up this breeding season. We'll also get the thoughts on the Arrowfield lineup with the great man himself, Guy Mulcaster. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Good morning to you, John. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Gareth. Um, Jesus, plenty of excitement at the moment, I would imagine, on all farms around Australia, but the foals are starting to arrive. What's the feel like there at Arrowfield? Well, we're very excited again. Uh, we've got a, a, a great uh, lineup of stallions uh, for the coming season, and um, yeah, we're really excited to see some of the foals born from last year. Uh, 
got a beautiful crop of mares on the farm and um, and a lot of them are awaiting some special foals, we hope. So do you lose sleep? Can you sleep much this time of the year? <laughs> it is very exciting. Um, you know, there's some, there's some fabulous mares there and uh, we're looking forward to... Of course, we've got a new stallion this year in Hitotsu, so we're yeah. really excited about what he might bring to the farm. Now, Hitotsu was a special three-year-old, a son of Maurice. He was purchased by Will Bourne as a tried horse, and he went on to achieve some wonderful deeds in the short amount of time that we got to see him at the races. He was a two-time classic winner. Um, how do you think he'll be... Um, how do you think he'll go at stud, first of all? And what's his first season looking like from a booking perspective? Well, look, we've got great belief in him. Um, he was a horse that we bred and sold. Um, he was a horse with enormous ability, um, tremendous raw talent. Saw that in some of the early races that he ran as a two-year-old when he ran so well in the Blue Diamond Um in races that were obviously not really, uh, you know, in his wheelhouse. But then as a three-year-old, um, once uh, he'd been purchased uh, uh, by Will and transferred to, to Kieran and David, um, we saw what a special horse he was. Um, his his, his uh, win in the Victoria Derby was, was something special. And, of course, just the two starts in the autumn when he won the Australian Guineas and then the Australian Derby. So... No horse, I think, since Mahogany had won those three races, and to win them consecutively was was something out of the box. So he's a horse that we've we've uh, admired tremendously, not only because we'd bred him, but for what he'd achieved. And uh, we think that you know he's the type of horse in this modern age that really suits the current broodmare pool. Um, and he's he's been really well received by breeders. I mean, he's a really popular horse, so um, I think he'll serve. A full book this this year at um, at the farm. John, I'm breeding bloodstock and Ben, and we've been talking to a few of the farms, and I'm always interested in how you go about the process of trying to get an Ototsu. Obviously, you've got that bond with him, you, you bred and, and, and you sold him as well. When do you start to make the, the inquiries whether you can get him or not, and was is it a competitive process to, to get a horse like an Ototsu? Well, it, look, it is. Um, but fortunately, uh, one of the, the original owners in the horse, Kevin Payne, who is a great friend of the farm, he's bought, um, he's bought a, a number of horses from us and done very well, and we've got a good relationship with him. And, uh, you know, Kevin was probably always predisposed to the horse coming to our field, so that was a great, you know, head start for us. Um, but, look, in the modern age... Um, with with stallions, it is super competitive to to try and acquire um, a, a, you know the the attractive new colt off the racetrack, um, and there's a lot of work goes into um, you know putting those relationships together that might lead to eventually to a, a deal being done and a stallion being acquired. He's a son of Maurice, and we know how strong the Japanese breed are these days. And, of course, you you stand his old man who's had so much success in this country especially. You mentioned that he will be attractive to a host of different broodmares, but what do you think, if I've got a broodmare, what do you think is the best mare that will suit him? Well, it's hard to know specifically. I mean, we, we never take a hard and fast view on on and put all our eggs in one basket in terms of sort of mating lines and that for for new stallions um but interestingly um he's out of a reduced choice mare and and uh, we've seen with um zoostar that inbreeding to reduced choice has been uh quite a successful um nick and uh, that's something that we'll certainly be trying um I think uh, there's written tycoon mares are another uh, line that we think will will work really well with him. So they're there too, but there's a lot of others that that I think would work well. Um, we're sending a number of Savabeel mares that we've got to him. We think that line will work well. And um, interestingly as well, uh, the Dundeal, uh, we've got a few Dundeal mares that have started off very well, and we think um, you know that uh, that line with the high chaparral might work well as well. He sounds like he's a he's a stallion that Australian racing have been crying out for. Maybe he can 
He can be the answer to help us produce a superstar middle-distance galloper. Well, if you look at the, the size list at the present time, I mean, you know, you've got uh, the three of the top six are, are uh, Dundeal, So You Think, and Savabeal, um, who are all sort of mile and a quarter uh, plus horses, but they were horses with tremendous ability and tremendous speed. Um, so they were horses that could both sprint and stay, and I think Hitotsu filled that bill as well. Mm. So um, that's that's why I say he's the type of horse in the current environment that seems to be really working. Um, it's not just the sheer speed horse. It's a horse that has got that speed but has got the capability to carry it over a distance. Yeah, we, when you think about Australian racing, everybody just thinks about speed. But when you do have a look at our successful stallions at the moment, I'm Invincible, of course, is at the top, but we've got a lot of Cox Plate horses that are starring at the moment, Cox Plate winners. And yes, those, absolutely. those middle distance gallopers that seem to be producing the superstars these days. Well, Seamus Ward is yes. another one of those. Yeah. And, and um, you know, Dundee was that style of horse. He unfortunately yep. had that setback going into the Cox Plate. But then that's another one of the reasons why we've got his, his son, Castel Vecchio, at start, who was yeah. a... You know, he was a brilliant uh, two-year-old, but but and it, it took an imported champion. He was stiff, wasn't he? Sorry to interrupt Cox you, John. He was stiff, wasn't he, Castlevecchio, to run into run into that Japanese mare on Cox Plate Day. It was it was so unfortunate because yeah. I know the team was really confident, and we, funny enough, had the uh, Japanese people uh, at the farm the week before. And uh, they were telling us that um, that Lisbrasser was as good a horse as they'd sent out in years and was unbeatable. And so <laughs> yeah. it probably turned out that way. But but yeah, he was a little unlucky to run into her. Yeah, Lisbrasser, she was something else. Just with Marisa now, you're standing high totsu. I remember having a chat to John Massara at one of the sales, and he, I asked him the question, John, what, how were you? be able to breed like a world champion you're dead set world's best middle distance galloper and he said gareth we need to get to the the japanese bloodlines and it seems to me that arrowfield um have started to really try and concentrate on that aspect of their breeding how is that going in your eyes and do you think you're on track there to get more japanese blood into your your farm well we've got a number of uh japanese bred mares um that you know, a lot of the um, trainers and um, breeders would have seen come through the yearling sales. But, um, yes, look, there's no doubt that the Japanese um, have developed a program uh, over the last 20, 30, 40 years that has really resulted in, in them being a, a world powerhouse in terms of breeding quality horses. You know, we've see, we see that time and again uh, wherever the horses travel, whether it be to you know Dubai or to Hong Kong or France or, or, or Europe, um, they compete um, against all the best horses in the world. So if you can get the best of the best from over there, then you've got an opportunity to uh, you know to to breed those horses here. Um, obviously, Morris is one of the greatest uh, Japanese horses of all time, and, and and we're seeing what he can do. Um, and another horse that we, we're standing this season in Admire Mars is, is a similarly brilliant uh, Japanese racehorse um, by a Japanese stallion called Daiwa Majors who's been a great success in that country. And and so we think we're giving ourselves an opportunity at least to to breed that champ, world champion, as you say. This is the Breeding Bloodstock and Banded with uh, the Captain Gareth Hall and, of course, Sky Molecaster, my special guest today. On the, the show is... Uh, John Free, of course, Arrowfield's bloodstock manager. Um, John, one of my favourites these days, and you must be so proud of him, and I think he's been um, so good for the Australasian breeding industry, and you've mentioned him a few few times as done deal. He seems to be yep. really versatile where he can produce a two-year-old probably later on in the season, but then he's got the opportunity to breed classic winners as a three-year-old and hopefully might he's he's – He's got the potential to go on and breed like Cox Plate champs. Um, you must be proud with the job that he's been able to do. Well, he, he, we 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 love him. I mean, he's 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 a he was such a champion racehorse, um, horse with unbelievable ability. I mean, if you go back and watch his races, 
you, you just need to be reminded of how talented he was as a racehorse. And and then we're seeing that in his progeny. I mean, um, we got a taste of it very early on with Castel Vecchio and Your Deal and, and uh, Super Seth, those sorts of horses. And, and of course, this last season gone with his two-year-olds were a complete revelation. I mean, we had uh, Militarise and uh, Townsend and, um, uh, of course, our own... Uh, our own filly in the uh, uh, Paul's filly in the Miracle of Love in the in the JJ Atkins. So he's been he's he's had an amazing year with his horses. Um, they not only just with his two year olds but with his older horses as well. You know he had a classic winner in Dunkel. So um, he's he's uh, destined to be champion sire. Um, it could even be this coming this season that we're currently in. Um, he's he's an absolute champion. Then we go go to the Autumn Sun, who was, as Chris Waller pointed out, if Winks wasn't around, he could have been, well, he could have delivered results that would have um, put him straight into the Hall of Fame. But his guineas win, you had to see to believe. And he's starting to hit his straps now with a few of his progeny making an impact on the track. Like, geez, that was a, a big win in South Australia, in recent, South Australia recently by Coco's son. Um, are you happy with the way that he's progressing? Yes, look, he's um, he's uh, he was a classic three-year-old, brilliant two-year-old, but a classic three-year-old. And obviously, as as Guy would well know, he's a horse that improved um, and improved significantly to his three-year-old. He may well have been a champion of four-year-old as well. Um, we didn't get to see him as a four-year-old, but his his uh, stock. Whilst they've um, they've done very well, I mean, of course, he's Autumn Ballet and Coco Sun, who you mentioned, and one of the best two-year-old fillies in New Zealand in Tulsi. Um, we're looking for big things from his three-year-olds this coming season. I know you guys bought a few, and, and uh, Chris has uh, half a dozen, I think, in the stable that, that have shown uh, tremendous potential. And uh, we, we wouldn't be surprised if we get to the Derby and the Oaks and there's three or four runners uh, by him in each of those two races. So... Um, that seems to be where where uh, his um, his progeny will be in those classic races, um, and we're very excited for him. And when you sit down and have a glass of red or a white or a beer with um, Mr. Massara, and I was talking to Tom about this, and Tom says that John Magnier, he's just in love with Justify at the moment. Justify is his his favourite stallion, and believes that Justify can go on and do it quite amazing things. Um, when you sit down with John and yourself, do you, is there, a, is there a stallion that you think that can take Arrowfield to obviously there's Snitzel of course, but is there a new horse that can take Arrowfield um, to new heights once again, that you're really excited about if you could identify one, or is that a little bit too Well, hard? it's a little bit, it's a little bit like uh, uh, saying, which is your favorite child? Oh no, but it, plenty, um, plenty of parents tell, I tell you have their favorite <laughs> child, John. <laughs> um, look, I think, I think, I think the autumn sun is, is, is quite a special horse. Um, you know, he's got it all. He's got the looks, he's got the pedigree. He's by the great stallion. Um, he's out of a Galileo mare and, and he's got the progeny on the ground. So, I, we're super confident that he's going to be the next big deal. Um, but having said that, we've got a couple of big deals already on the roster. And, you know, it could well be a horse like Castelvecchio. I mean, the feedback on his uh, two-year-old is um, is tremendous. And uh, um, where people probably wouldn't expect because he's by done deal that they'll be out in the early trials. They may well be. And that's... Uh, could even be a horse like him. You never know. Yeah, I, I guess that's the the best part about that job. You just don't know what to expect. And these two year olds could jump out of the ground, and then all of a sudden their lives change for forever in a way if they can get a couple of young horses to really put their hand up. Um, we get the stallion parade not far away for the breeders out there, John. And you've been in this game for a long time. How important are these stallion parades um, to get out there and have a look at these stallions, especially a horse like Itotsu? And what would your recommendation be for what you need to, to look for when you go to these stallion parades? Or are they just an opportunity well, to get on the drink? Well, <laughs> well, probably both. <laughs> um, look, I think it's one of those things. Uh, the 
the, the a lot of the things that you need to know about stallions, um, you, you as far as their capabilities, you'll you'll really read on, in a in a stallion brochure how good a horse were they, how are they bred, and whatever. Most most times, strangely as it may sound, um, how they look is not that important. It's what they've done. And the Japanese have proved that to us, and we've seen it over the years uh, with, with stallions that come in all shapes and sizes. Probably the value of the stallion parade is looking um, at the stallion that you fancy and, uh, and figuring out whether your mare uh, will match up with her phys- that stallion physically. So it's more about matching up your mare to a specific stallion than than deciding whether that stallion will, will be good or not good based on on how he looks. Because their credentials are, uh, we feel, are really what they've done and how they're bred. Um, and the least important thing is how they look, uh, because handsome is as That's handsome does. Yeah. So. Um... So you got your stallion parade, I think, in the last weekend of August. So you, uh, what's the best way to go about getting to your stallion parade? Do you give the farmer a call and register? Yeah, just give the farmer a call. Let us know that you're coming. You're more than welcome. Um, and uh, we're delighted to see everyone there. We're, we're parading on the Saturday and the Sunday morning, um, I think at 10 o'clock. So uh, anybody, uh, give us a call. More than welcome. Uh, come and... Uh, uh, see the stallions and have a chat to the team. I've had a couple of a chats to a few friends and our young producer Jacko. We keep on mentioning it, but he's started to get into the breeding game and he's trying to try and look. He's trying to look now where he sends his mare um, next 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 season. What would your advice be to those breeders out there? Maybe the the smaller breeders that have got a couple of mares to breed and they're they're trying to look for the ideal stallion to go to obviously they've got a passion for it so i would imagine they would be doing their their own homework but would you recommend calling farms like yourself having a chat to you to you john and then trying to work out um what you think that the best man might be suited to your stallion because i guess that's the 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 key and you guys do that for a living and i would imagine you wouldn't want mares going you would want to make sure that the best mares are going to your your stallions that you think that the cross would work Indeed, and and we, we we probably see more of that and have a little bit more insight into what seems to be working and what what isn't because that's all we focus on, you know, twenty four seven. So it, I think it is a help if um, um, you know if people give us a call, uh, we can sort of we can um, recommend a stallion or recommend a nick that might work with a particular mare and. And understand sort of what the physical attributes of that particular mare are that might uh, match or not match with the with the stallion that is of interest to the to the mare owner. So um, it's always help uh, if uh, if you have a chat and get as much information as you can. Um, that's what we're there for. We're there to assist the breeders and try and help them make good decisions. Last one before we, I've got a couple more if it's okay, John, before we let you leave. I'm thoroughly sure. enjoying this chat. Um, how do you think the industry's going at the moment? Obviously, we've seen some challenges from an economy point of view, but it can um, go against the, the tide a little bit, the, the market there when it comes to, to buying yearlings. But what have you, how have you found the, the, the breeders and all that going to, trying to, to book their mares. Have you seen a downturn there? And do you think that the, the breeding industry, especially the sales, will, will they continue to hold up with their amazing averages of recent times? Um, look, I think that the, the, uh, it's a sort of a micro uh, environment, the uh, economic environment that the horse sales, and we've seen around the world, even at Saratoga overnight, that the sales have been held up, held up very well, but held up... Um, in all parts of the world, um, we've had a, 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 a tremendous run with the with uh, yearling sales here over the last few years, particularly since since COVID. Will it hold up? Uh, look, there's a there's a there's a tightening of the economies around the world, um, but we've got a the the um, we're in a, a very good position here with with such a good racing economy um, in terms of prize money and. And other things that I think that will will uh, 
you know, support it uh, going forward. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a sort of a general tightening at the bottom end of the market. Um, but I think the, 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 the demand for really quality horses will hold up um, over the next few years. Um, you know, the, really the, the, the top end because uh, there's, there's such a demand and there's so many people at, playing at that end that, uh, that won't be affected by sort of slight downturn in, yeah. in the economy. So, you know, we're, we're very confident that that, that end of the market will, will uh, hold up. Uh, as far as the bottom end goes, well, that might tighten up a little bit because people be feeling the pinch paying sort of, you know, training fees, etc. But the flip side is that prize money is so good and that will help support it. So hopefully, hopefully we'll um, we'll keep chugging along pretty well. Yeah, there's a few buyers at the Easter sales that don't really have to worry too much about the interest rates. Um, exactly. Um, the last one before we let you go, will you be participating or... I guess you'd be interested in the Strawberry Hill sale coming up shortly with Singo, because some, this yeah, is well, like a once in a lifetime opportunity, I would imagine, for some breeders to get into these bloodlines. Well, it is, and a lot of those bloodlines originated from Arafield, funnily yeah. enough, because it was um, Sunday Joy and Joie de Nice that were um, came from came from Arafield that are the sort of taproot of a lot of that Singo stock. Look, Singo's been a tremendous contributor to the industry for so long. Um, a great man, great breeder, uh, real visionary in terms of what he's done. And uh, it's sad to see him sort of disperse that bloodstock, but but what an opportunity for people! And and uh, absolutely, we'll be we'll be there and and looking at it. And it'll be very difficult to uh, to buy at that sale because I think, uh, as you say, it's a it's a special opportunity for breeders. Um, but we'll do our best, um, and I'm sure it'll go particularly well. And just quickly before we let you leave, John Massara must be proud, and you guys must be proud with Paul Massara because recently he trained his 500th winner, and I know he does a lot of work now from the breeding point of view, but I think he's been an underrated trainer. He's he's been able to travel horses on um, to to Dubai and, and to the UK with Hortensia and have success and. Um, he does a really good job with the team that he's got. He's got a terrific strike rate. And to um, bring up win, winner number 500, um, he's done a mighty job for Arafield. And he could have a superstar filly on his hands as well. Well, he, yeah, absolutely. He, might, he has done a tremendous job. And, and to be fair to Paul, too, a lot of the horses that uh, that we give him to train are horses that, that maybe haven't sold at the sales or we couldn't sell because... You know they had issues or X-ray issues or all sorts of things. So he's he he started behind the eight ball in, in terms of the quality of horses that he's got, particularly from us. Uh, but but he's done a great job, and as you say, his strike rate's tremendous. I mean, I think over the last two or three years, his strike rate's been sort of up around the twenty-seven percent, twenty-eight percent mark, which is which is amazing. Um, a really talented horseman, um, and as you, as you said, he's travelled horses all around the world. Uh, the job that he did with uh, Hortensia was absolutely amazing, and um, and Alverda and amongst amongst others. So he's done a great job. We're very proud of Paul. Um, he's he's a real talent in that regard. And if he if he did did it full, you know, all the time, focused on nothing else, and he was down in Sydney doing it, I'm sure he'd be right at the top of the list. We appreciate your time, mate. We could talk all day, John, but we wish you the best of luck for the upcoming um, season. We wish you the best of luck with those foals, those mares starting to fall down. It is an exciting time, and, um, yeah, hopefully it's another big season for the kings of Australian breeding in Arrowfield. Thanks, Gareth. Great to be with you. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. You're with Gareth Hall and, of course, the captain, Guy Morecaster. Guy, always interesting catching up with John Frey, the bloodstock manager from Arrowfield. And it's interesting to see how Itotsu will go. And it was fascinating to watch Will Bourne and Kira Ma purchase a few broodmares recently to send to Itotsu. So he's he gets his opportunity. He's at the right farmer, obviously, Arrowfield. I've got a special place for a Totsu. They bred it. Uh, they bred that galloper and sold that galloper as well. Now he's back at the farm and 
you've seen the success, as John pointed out, of the the horses like a So You Think and a, and a Done Deal and a Savage Bill. So he, he'll get every opportunity at stud, you would imagine. Well, you know, her Titsu fits into the profile of Arrowfield very well. They've had a wonderful year. Snitzel having the slipper winner in Shinzo, Dundeal having Group 1 winner in Militarise, Maurice doing a great job, the father of um, Haitotsu. And uh, it's good to see the Autumn Suns. Are just oh, like, I knew you would mention him. Quietly now, you know. No. So I think they've got some pretty good stallions here at Arrowfield. I'm sure Haitotsu will get a very good book of mares kicking off. I mentioned this to John. I said, when I talk to Tom, he always says that his old man... Um, John Magnier has got a love affair. It's understandable. With Justify, he thought Justify, when he first laid eyes on him, there was something special about him. And he's going to be the next big star from a stallion point of view for Coolmore. I asked a similar question to John Freer, who he thinks that John Massara thinks that might be Arrowfield's Justify in a way. And he labelled the Autumn Sun. And this is a horse that you're close to because you were – um, played a part in selecting that horse. And obviously he was trained by Chris Waller and we probably, did we get to see the best of him? He was such a dominant three-year-old and then he was retired to stud guy. But how have you, how have you assessed his early part, the early part of his, his career as a stallion? Well, the thing, you know, you, you think uh, a horse like uh, the autumn sun we probably didn't really get to see the best of him. But once a stud deal was done sort of in the late in the season, he really had to go to stud because they had so much money on the table. They had to start bringing it back in. And he's had a, a few pretty good books of mares and he's got a, a number of good looking horses coming through. So I think, you know, like Justify's got the favourite for the 2000 guineas next year in England. He's got a number of nice horses down here. He had learning to fly in that. So I think both horses are heading in the right direction. Both horses standing at around about $100,000, you know, and Justify in America and cheaper in Australia. So I think Autumn Sun and Justify are going to be leaving a footprint in this in the staying races as the three-year-olds. So, Guy, if they were your two boys and they had their wedding on the same day, which wedding would you go to? You'd have one at one thirty and one <laughs> at 3.30, Gareth, wouldn't you? Oh, I knew you would sit on the fence. Um I've got a question for you without notice. So we've been talking to Andrew Jones, a Racing Victoria CEO, and I'm not going to get into that with you, but like I think that Racing Victoria are on the right path with their innovation ideas, but I've talked to a few industry participants and I've got a passion about this, that I would love to see a Netflix type of series based on Australian racing, whether it be on the racetrack, but being at the sales of recent times over the last year and a half and observing what goes on at those sales, I think a Netflix series, even um, during a sales season, leading up to a sales season and talking to the likes of a Tom Magnia going to Arrowfield, even to the smaller breeders as well, the Witten studs of the world, not a small breed, but like even like the, the big farms like Witten and Arrowfield and, and, um, year long and of course Coolmore and then also some of the smaller farms I think it would be and identifying the characters of the breeding industry and I would probably sign you up first of all um, Guy and follow you around at the, the, your nightlife appearances and then getting up in the morning and um, looking in, um, looking at these horses and then buying these horses I think it would be so fascinating I don't think you're probably going to have to wait long, Gareth. You know they've done all the, they've done the shows on the motor racing, they've done the ones on the basketball. I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to come pretty soon. You know they've done the one on the golf, and when they're thinking about revenue on the Netflix shows, I'm sure they're going to do something on the horse racing pretty soon. Well, racing's a billion dollar industry. You would nearly fund that yourself. You see what that document or the series has done for the popularity of Formula One, and if racing ever needs to try and um, – I think they've got to look after their customers, the, the customers that love this game, first of all. But I think it's the best way to try and get new people into the game and educate the people into the game on, on how much we love these horses. But what would need to happen, Captain, is that the industry people would need to be vulnerable and open up their lives to these cameras, a bit like what they've done in the Formula One. Do you think that they – 
do you think would be able to do that? Now, would you be able to do that, Captain? Oh, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen to in some sort of form. But, you know, I think you probably need to wind the clock back a little bit and and look at what they're doing on the, on the racetrack a little bit more. You know, uh, they're talking about doing this and doing that. But if, uh, if for the enjoyment of the sport you had secondary racing like Friday night racing and you had it as a class system and you drew the fields to make them all similar priced horses and I mean it takes it takes away the horses that have got classes in hand but if you draw the fields with five to one six to one the field have eight runner races with the best jockeys have five races on the same class have them going in a fortnight to a final I think that's going to generate interest you know because the group races take care of themselves they get the crowds but just on the smaller meetings even on the provincial races and that sort of thing, it can get a crowd on the track if, if the people have a little bit of a following. Yeah, and I said this on Giddy Up, the radio show that I do on SEM weekdays, so I know you listen to it religiously, is that racing needs to try some try something a little new. They need to be they need to innovate. And history tells you, or in recent times, the states and the administrators that have been able to innovate, it's been a success from what Peter's been able to do in New South Wales to what WA were hesitant to have a slot race. And then I think they were finally talked into it and they were rewarded with massive turnover figures for the quokka. But I think this is a different type of innovation that the, the racing industry is crying out for. And you need to mic up the jockeys, not during the race, but before and after the race have like Guy Molcaster talking to, James McDonald and Chris Waller having a chat and um, guys saying, Garrison, this horse with us and Mac, we've had a big bet. So go and get the job done and no booze on the cards for you. If you get the chocolates, that type of stuff. Um, that's what I think the industry needs. Um, uh, definitely Gareth. I think maybe the interpretation of the microphones was, was uh well, they a didn't little sell bit. It. They didn't Dude. sell it. They, they need to sell the dream better because I think the vision I, th- I, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm excited about that vision, but they just needed to sell it a bit better. I think the analogy with the F1 wasn't the best analogy, unfortunately. No, but you know, even if you, even if you did have the microphones and you had the leading trainers walking down to uh, saddle the horses up and they'll say how they've settled in and how they've taken in the environment and that sort of thing. And it probably brings people together a little bit and gets a little bit of the juices flowing before the event. hundred percent. And even the, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's massive upside for it. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Jackson France is ready to go straight after this on the Breeding Bloodstock and Band of Podcasts. You're with Gareth Hall and the captain, Guy Molcast. So with your questions coming up next. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. You're with Gareth Hall and the captain for Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Guy Molcaster, Gareth Hall with you and Jackson France, our, our nervous producer, joins us because he's got that blue point filial cult, which is about to um, fall down, hopefully, Jackson. It was meant to happen last Saturday. What is going on? Yeah, she was due last Saturday, Gareth. It's great to be here with you. But We're enjoying they, this journey, by, this, no, by the way. I appreciate the interest, but they can go up to two to three weeks late. No issues. So fingers crossed that uh, everything goes smoothly. And I'm sure that she'll be right out there with the astute team out at Neuralland Park. Have you slept? Not much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling for him, Captain. The poor kid. But it's been a bloody long, drawn-out process, hasn't it? Are Are we obviously running the meter by the day or something? Yeah, yeah it's, it seems like that, but um, we'll get there. I'm sure everything will What did your mum say the other day? Oh, she said, Jack, you need to stop spending so much money on all these horses. You should be saving for a house or a car or something. I said, Mum, if this works out, everything's going to be okay. Just trust me. So You'll be able to buy more than a house, Mum. Exactly. I'll be uh, up there in the Gold Coast in the penthouse next to the captain. You would have seen those stories along the journey, Guy, that um, bloodstock agents, or like Chris Wall is the perfect. They, in fact... Tell your mum to ring Uncle Guy up because you're the perfect example, aren't you, Uncle Guy? Because you can tell Mrs. Um, France that you and your you and your great mate Chris Waller basically took a massive pun. And if it wasn't for a couple of horses that you purchased, um, I just can't recall that story. But in the early days in New Zealand, you guys were 
living on the edge and you persevered, you followed your passion and you're able to get through the, that period that Jackson's probably going through at the, at the moment, Guy. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I think, you know, it is once you get into the swing of it, Jackson, it'll be just well, like water off a duck's back for you. You'll have half a dozen mares foaling. You won't even know when they're foaling. They'll like <laughs> in your email. It'll be just like money going straight in the bank. What was that horse that put you on the map? That you were you were bugger there, were you, until this horse came along? Which one are you talking about? Oh, in New Zealand when you first started buying for Chris. Oh. Because um, you had to, and then all of it, like it was a cheapie, and then all of a sudden the next season you had more money. Yeah, that's it. Yep. No, it's been an enjoyable process, just been learning on the way, sort of tapping into a lot of the farm managers and different people. Chris Kent, who used to run Neuralin Park, he's at Twin Hills now, has been a great support along the way. So I thought may as well have a crack now while I'm young and don't have any dependents or other expenses. And if it works out, like I said, it could turn into something. If it doesn't, at least I know that I had a crack at it. So that's the uh, the thought process behind it. Oh, do we need to go and buy another brood mare? Um, we'll just worry about the first one, getting this to the sales before. We don't want to stretch ourselves too big okay. too quickly because that's how you shoot yourself in the foot. Just start small and, and Are you wanted, work your way up. So you want giddy up enough to invest in the next stallion that you go to? Um, yeah, definitely. If you're keen to jump in, I've got half of the mare, so, um, there's plenty there. All right then. All right then. I might try and, I might try and, which, what, what cross would work? We'll have to get the is, captain to sit there and break that down. fucking banter or are we just having the Jackson fucking show at the moment? <laughs> that, that's, that, that's, there's, that, there's plenty of questions for the captain. That, that's a good point. Roll it, Jackson. What's, what have you got uh, for us? So I've got one that's come through from Sean, captain. <laughs> Um, have you been active in the American yearling broodmare, uh, the yearling slash broodmare market during your time? The prices over there seem to be absurd. Uh, I only ever bought one horse out of America, Jackson. It was, uh, I took a few clients to Saratoga when I had my wedding six years ago and we bought a horse. He was extremely expensive at 565000 American. Uh, we took him to Ireland. He had his first start. He got a tidy up by Anthony Van Dyke by about 12 lengths. His next time he got a haircut off El Paradiso by about seven lengths. We gave him one more and he had another bad experience with one of Aiden's again. So we put him on the truck and brought him back to Australia and he was yonkers and he ended up paying for himself eventually. Yonkers. There you go. You learn something every day. I learned you, you're actually married, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and you purchased that the horse by the name of John. Because there you go, it's a good horse there for yes. Chris. But um, what what do you make? Just a quick one for me, Captain. What do you make of tapping into those dirt style of stallions and buying horses that have the pedigree of on the dirt? Sometimes they come across to Australia and they don't seem to work out. Uh There'd be people that know a lot more about dirt horses than me, and I wouldn't wouldn't proclaim to know a lot about them. I do think they are a little bit of a different physical setup. Uh, I think they're a little bit straighter through the shoulder, and they're a little bit up and down. And they seem to handle those very very firm dirt tracks, and they run as fast as they can. But uh, you know, there's a number of horses that are dual purpose in that sort of sense. Uh, Medagliadoro was a great dirt horse who left a number of uh, good horses on the grass as well. So don't know if you can pigeonhole it too much. I think horses are pretty adaptable, really. I think uh, what you train them and what they do, you know, they can they, they seem to adapt pretty well. Got one that's come through from Jess. Racing in Macau is rumoured to close and Singapore Racing's closing next year. What's the effect that this will have on the international bloodstock market? Minimal, I would think. Uh, if you'd said it, Ten years ago, it would have it would have had a reasonably um, hard sort of result in you know trading horses, but now with the uh, online auctions, the horses that would have been going to those jurisdictions are still making their money domestically. You know, there's there's people that have you know you saw the other day that horse that uh, won the Darwin Cup. He was a twenty grand horse. Seven yep. months ago, or something, and write he's won your three. Name. Write your name's a horse. Yeah, write your name. So you know, people. There's so many horses getting traded at these online auctions, and you know, previously horses going to Macau, eighty percent of them would have been under a hundred grand. And you put a half decent Wednesday Saturday horse on that Inglis or Magic Millions online sales now, it's not a big deal to make a hundred grand. There was a nice horse yesterday. From TFI, west of Africa, he made one hundred and forty-five thousand. 
One final. You know, so yeah. Yes, the week two Saturday races to get in front, and there's there's no problems for people to buy a horse like that. One final question, Captain, from Mitch. Do you feel as though the whip gets the best out of the horse, or can jockeys get the best out of them over the final furlong with hands and heels? Gets the best out of guy. <laughs> I think, I think you need the whip for a safety aspect. You know, like when you see track work, uh, I know that. Uh, those big trainers get very angry if the jockey's not carrying a stick because as soon as a horse wants to whip around, they haven't got anything to straighten them up with, anything like that. In a race, you know, you might be looking to, you know, have somebody come back on and go on heels or something, and I think you need the stick to alleviate any problems. Captain, I want to know what your captain's pick is this week. You've had enough time to organise it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Saturday, um, okay. Saturday's looking pretty hard, I think. I'm thinking just sit quietly, and uh, and the good races will come, and the spring will be long enough without me going off this week and tipping something that I don't really know too much about. Shane Curlio is one of our experts on Giddy Up, and he we we did our debate show yesterday, and the debate show was or, um, one of the topics was. Who will be the best horse in Australia by the end of the spring? And he went something completely left field. A horse by the name of Extremely Lucky that's first up for Chris Waller on Saturday. Has Brother Chris gave you any indication when you've had a chat to him on the phone? Both trials have been very, very yes. good. Uh, he's been ridden quietly in his trials. I'm not, I can't remember how he raced in Adelaide, if he was an on-pace horse or he got back and ran home, but I know they they hold him in pretty high regard, and they do think he's uh, he's going to go to a pretty good level. So it'd be interesting to see him run first up on Saturday. Love it, mate. We have enjoyed your time as always. That I had to do my top six horses that we could follow throughout the spring, and I probably lent on you a little bit last week. And um, if Sunlight's full brother doesn't deliver, I will be blaming you. Well, we're already in for a good amount of money with him, Gareth, so we're all hoping he can uh, do the job. Does he go to the Golden Rose or a Caulfield Guineas? What type of horse is he? Uh, He's more of a Coolmore horse, I would have thought. Okay, down the straight. Down the straight. Beautiful. Um, I've enjoyed your work once again and uh, enjoy your week on the Gold Coast and we'll catch up with you next week. Hey, Captain, what stallion parades are we going to? Have you organised that schedule for us yet? Yeah, the 27th, we've got all the big studs in the Hunter Valley, and you can go to whichever one you like on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 25th, 26th, 27th. If you haven't organised something, you probably need to get hold of the studs and uh, register your interest. Beautiful. We might have a bit of a pub crawl there as well. So we'll, I'll, I'll be bunking with you if that's okay. Good on you, Captain. No, Gareth. <laughs> see, see you, Captain. That is the breeding... Bloodstock and Banter podcast with Gareth Orn, the Captain Guy Molcaster. Have a wonderful week. I'm looking forward to catching up with you next week.